0: I get this stain out? That's a question. Many a college student has called home. Uh, I called home with that. Too late. Um, How do you get this stain out? Mom gets that question. Uh, That's the question that's asked. You know, we we start though earlier, many of us, um, wondering uh, how this mess is gonna get clean. No few of us grew up reading. Dr. Seuss is the cat in the hat and, and we're kind of freaked out by thing one and thing two moving all through the house, causing all this crazy chaos and the fish is warning and warning, you know, I'm not going to get into the rhymes, I don't know what they were, but mother's coming, right? Somehow she gets in into this again. Mother's coming, the, ah, the drama, ah, the, the angst, ah, the... Oh, gracious. Um, so how do you get the stain out? What, what do you do, though, if, if it's a little more serious. Um, what do you do if it's a little deeper? If it's a little darker? It's not something that you spilled. It's something you said. It's something that, that, you, that you did. And it's, it's not about a garment or a silly story, but about the guilt and the shame that you bear. What do you do with that stain? Let's turn in the Bible to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 uh, is where we're going this morning. If you're trying to find that, I would just... Uh, Encourage you just to open up your Bible to about the halfway point, and the binding will pretty much guide you there. The heart of the Bible it's the Psalms. Psalm 32. This is a Psalm of David, um, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the Word of God. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach Him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Lord, we can all identify with the question, what do we do with the stain? We we need the answer. We can identify with the question, we need the answer. Uh, Maybe we're a little uncomfortable right now, it's a little too personal, a little too close, just raising the question, but that really just points to the greater need uh, that we have. We pray that you would speak to us now. This is your word. We pray that you would speak to us now. And the ears that you have made, we pray that you would enable to hear. Amen. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, of course, many of you are familiar with him as a, as a Hollywood actor. Uh, he's been in no few films. I'm sure we could do a little you know comparison game here as to our favorite Hanks film. He strikes me as, as something of a, of a modern-day And this may date me, and and some of you may not get this analogy, so, you know, Google it when you get home. Um, He strikes me as something of a modern-day Jimmy Stewart. Sort of that, that guy, you know, who just has that, he makes you feel relaxed. He's like the guy next door, you know, and just sort of sets you at ease, and he's easy to watch, and you look forward to seeing what's coming uh, one of his lesser-known films is uh, is Catch Me If You Can. I don't know how many of you might be familiar with that. It's based on the true story of FBI agent, and this is the guy that Hanks plays, FBI agent Carl Herity Jr., who is just set on the pursuit of this fugitive, uh, this this guy who uh, has posed for some time as a pilot, as a lawyer, as a doctor, he has um, conned people on three different continents out of millions of dollars, and he's not even 19 yet. And Hanks' character, this FBI agent, is, is, well, he's after him, he's chased. that's the plot of the film. Um, But this guy proves to be, shall I say, if you've seen the film, an elusive fugitive. It's a great story. It's a very human story. If you watch it, you start to feel for both of these guys in, in many respects. I say it's a human story, and I think because of that, but for another reason, because it seems to touch on something of the human experience. We're all chasing something. I'm not a fugitive. But happiness. Happiness. Some of what I'm going to say sounds a little bit like it echoes a little bit of that series that we just got out of a few weeks ago in Philippians, but it's a theme the Bible keeps coming back to. Um, We are chasing after the something that proves to be elusive to us, happiness. Um, Why do we keep chasing after it? Why is it so elusive? It's elusive because we keep looking for it in the wrong places and in the wrong ways. And so it it, it eludes us. We, we can't grasp it. We can't get it. And yet, at the same time, we keep going for it. Why is that? Because we were made for it. Something about us is hardwired. Now, before I go any further, let me just do this and make do a little definition here. By happiness, please understand, I'm not talking about something fleeting. Like a cloud, or something just floating there on the on the surface, but talking about something that's rooted and lasting and deep, something that the Bible alludes to when it uses this word "blessed." I mean, actually, a translation of. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. You could translate it, if you understand the word rightly, you could say, Happy is the one. If you understand, you know, it's not, again, that loosey goosey, all smiles, all surfacy, quick to pass with the next wind or mood shift or whatever. But there's a richness, there's a deepness, there's an exuberance to it at the same time. Blessed. Blessed. Um, same word if you're familiar with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, blessed is, goes through a list. Same word carried over in, in the Greek anyway. Um, the, the good news is this can be for anyone, the state. It doesn't matter your gender or your nationality or your age or your race or your occupation or your history, or your story, or whatever it may be. Because this is something that God has provided. This is something that God has cleared the way for. This potential happiness. He has cleared the way for this very thing that we are chasing after. True, lasting happiness, blessedness. We have them, but to hear and heed what He has to say. You see, the very thing we are chasing after, longing for, blessedness, happiness, whatever word you want to use, he has made the way clear for. Ours is but to hear and heed what it is that he's saying. But what is he saying? I want to look at this in three parts. Now, I have to tell you I changed the order after this was printed. Okay? I began to look at this and think it through a little bit and so it's, it's number one's been moved to number three, so moved number two up to number one and it's like college football rankings. <laughs> Sorry. Um... Uh, so there's an order change here in, uh, in, in the outline, so, but I want to look at this in turn. The, the signs, number one, the signs of true happiness. Uh, secondly, the hope of true happiness. And thirdly, the means of true happiness. So the signs, that is to say, the marks, what does it look like? What are the indicators that it's there? Um, the hope, the fact, the reality of it, the means, how can it be ours? And we've only got a few minutes, and so we're just going to be kind of you know, skimming the surface on this. But there's a lot here, and I just want to at least expose us to some of this. So number one, uh, the signs of, the tr- of true happiness. What does it look like, this blessedness, this happiness? Verses 8 through 11, David makes this declaration. Declaration to others. I will instruct you, I will teach you, I will counsel you. He goes on to say, please don't be like this beast. Then he gives us warning, verses 10 and 11, speaking of the sorrows of so many. But this contrast, steadfast love, surrounding the one who trusts in the Lord. In this plea, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Do you hear what David's doing here? He's making this appeal, this declaration to other people, this appeal. Um, hear me. I want to help you. Hear what I've got to say. I want to show you. The thing you're chasing after, I can, I can show you. Uh, but at the same time, he gives a warning. There's the possibility, there's the reality of what it means to be truly human. Don't be like the beast. Don't be subhuman. So there's this declaration that David that David makes, and then there's this expression of dependence upon the Lord. There in verses six and seven, you know, and if you want to think through the flow of the Psalm, verses one through five, um, excuse me, verses one through seven. Really, David is talking to the Lord in prayer. Reflecting on his experience, and then verses uh, eight through eleven, he's now turning towards the Lord's people and speaking to them. But so at, at the towards the end of this prayer, verses six and seven, therefore let everyone who is godly, after everything he said to the Lord, reflecting on that, offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. And he expresses this this uh, wonder: of the Lord is his hiding place, his safety, security. Uh, those. Thing. So David is expressing dependence on the Lord first for other people. He's praying for others that they would pray. You see that in verse six? Um, that they would not stray as, as he has, but rather pray, be depending looking up uh, to the Lord, but not just is he depending upon the Lord for the sake of others, before himself. And after all of this, you are mine. Hiding place, preserve me. You surround. You do preserve me. You do surround me. David is not. After all of this, I'm going to work harder. No, I'm going to lean harder. I'm going to lean harder into you. The marks of this true happiness. How does it? What does it look like? What are its signs? Not surprisingly, it looks a lot like what Jesus says. Are the first and second greatest commandments: first, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those, in essence, that's the marks. It's reflected here in this this psalm. But how, how, how does that come about? What, what, by what means? Well, it's engaging with the living God in a real, vibrant relationship, and that takes us to the second thing, the second point, the hope, the reality. I know there's a cynical part in your heart and mind too that just is like, yeah. Happiness, settledness, blessedness—but there's, it's real. It's possible. It's true. David speaks to this, verses one and two. Blessed, and, you know, blessed truly. Not in, not in quotation marks. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no. Deceit. Now, he speaks of two things here the nature of the offense and this wonder that comes in being relieved of that. The offense, we actually don't know. The context isn't clear, and a lot of people say this is connected with Psalm 51 and David's thing with Bathsheba and Uriah. We actually don't know that from this Psalm. This is clearly, likely, a general expression of confession. But we do have these rich metaphors that David is using to describe this offense, whatever it was. He speaks of transgression, that is to say, an offense of crossing a line. He he speaks of sin, an offense of falling short of a mark. See the richness of the metaphors here? He he speaks of uh, transgression, iniquity, um, of, of this deep, heart corruption within him. And he is confessing all of that. And then the next thing that we see is the wonder of the relief that then comes. He is grappling with the depth and the extent and the nastiness of really what he has done. So then the wonder of the relief is just in all the more heightened. Ah, Lord, thank you. I am forgiven. Again, the richness of the words that is used. I am forgiven. The the burden is lifted. It has been carried away. It's been covered. It's been hidden. Never to be seen again. It's not going to be counted against me. The books have been cleared. The debt has been canceled. The the charges dismissed. It's as though David is saying, my friends, here it is. You you are searching for what it is to be blessed. Blessed. Here it is, engaging with the the life, with the living God. Now, I know this is in the Bible. You expect to hear this, right? You expect to hear that that true life, that the blessed life, that real deep happiness would be connected with engaging with God, the true living God, forgiveness, confession, those kinds of things. I know you're kind of like, yeah, right. This is no surprise. But at the same time, think with me about the things that we put most of our energy into. And most of our effort and most of our attention into in our pursuits, we're spinning our wheels, chasing after something. Yeah, put it this way: job satisfaction is a great thing to have, but you know what? Blessedness, true happiness, is not found in a career. Um, Creature comforts, the stuff. It's good. It's fine. But life, blessedness, happiness, is not in stuff. Wealth, material possessions, um, friends, family, that's all great, wonderful, gifts of God. But you know what? That's not the end-all be-all. That's not where life It's in relationships with other people. What David is saying is, my friends, without put it this way, without verses one and two, knowing the transgressions and sin and iniquity is dealt with and forgiven and covered and never to be counted against us, without that we've got nothing. We've got nothing. You see, this is real and the Lord is setting it before us as something to, to churn within us and long a sense of longing for it, a holy discontentment. What are the means then? This is the last point. What are the means? Um, how can it be ours? Verses 3-5. through five. David tells us, For when I kept silent, this of course is what we're prone to do, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all Day long, we, we know something of that right, in our own experience. You know, when, when, you're, when you've had a row with your spouse or a dear friend, a sibling perhaps, um, you just feel just ugh, torn up within, you can't rest. It's not right. Okay, that's the case with another human being you're close to. How much more so the, the true and living God? That's what it, what it ought to be, in a way, I suppose you could say. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So where does this come from? Where does it begin? God's grace. That's where it always begins. God's grace in David's life. God's Heavy hand in this case on David. David's got a problem. He is self deceived. He's keeping silent and he's trying to cover things up. And in, the, in response to that problem, God, in his love and his grace and his mercy, is putting pressure on David to wake him up. That's not because God hates him, it's because he loves him. It's not because David deserves it. How could it be? Right? It's the Lord's grace that heavy hand and the misery he's putting him through to wake him up, to wake him up from his slumber. And in response to that grace, David trusts in the Lord. Not He does not turn and run like Adam in the garden, covering himself up with his big leaves, but rather he turns, he sees himself in light of the Lord and the hope of the Lord and he's honest, he comes clean, he acknowledges, he confesses, he doesn't make excuses, he lays it out. Put it this way, true happiness, this blessedness, is directly connected to a laying hold of God's grace in our lives. That's it. That's it. Now, I want to just end with a couple of points, a couple of questions. Digging in here, into the depths of this for a moment if I can. Because it does raise some questions, I think, if you're really thinking this through. And the first of these questions is this. How can this... Well, actually, they both go like this. How can this be? How can we be forgiven and God be just? Is he just the nice grandfatherly figure up in heaven is saying oh it's okay johnny sally go your way it's it's fine or is it something else paul says this in 2 corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 for our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god it's the finished work of christ that's how god can be just and merciful at the same time he lived the life we should have lived he died the death we deserved to die It's done, nothing can be taken away from that, and nothing can be added to it. So how can he be just? How can we be forgiven the finished work of Christ? But There's one more question. I've been digging into the Psalms the last few weeks, and you've heard me say a time or two that the Psalms are ultimately about Jesus, that Jesus is ultimately the singer of the Psalms. He is the one that the psalms point to. He is the one that every one of the psalms fulfills. So where this question is going. This is a a psalm of confession. How does Jesus pray a prayer of confession? How is Psalm 32 fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus? Do you see how this is kind of a, a tough nut to crack? Well, If you hear me say nothing else over the next 30 seconds, hear me say this. Jesus entered fully into our experience in order to make us fully His.
1: There's mystery
0: here. But Jesus entered fully into our experience to make us fully His, which means He knows all the temptations you face because He faced them Himself. He knows what it is to be fearful and despairing to be discontent and greedy and lustful. He knows what it is to be tempted towards those things. To be tempted towards that. Um, to be bitter. He knows what it is to be tempted towards those things, and yet not. Not giving in to those things. He knows what it is And he took all of the guilt of all of the times that we give into all of those temptations upon himself. He went through the misery that Psalm 32 describes here. The wasting away, the groaning, being dried up, the hand heavy upon him, right? He knows what that feels like. You know why? Because he took the sin of you and I upon himself. Completely immersing himself, entering into that, in a sense, confessing for us. He did this. He did Psalm 32 in our place. Or if I can put it this way, He prayed this prayer for us, entering into this for us, that we might pray this prayer back to Him. He prayed this prayer for us that we might then be able to pray this to Him. Or if I can put it this way, just ending it like this, Do you see how far He has gone for you? Do you see the depth, the condescension to the the utter depths to which He has gone to chase after us, to lay Himself out for us, to save us? How can we not then feel compelled to confess to Him, knowing His love for us, knowing how free we are in His presence, how can we then not feel free to lay ourselves before Him? Let's pray together. Lord, part of us, all for all of us, would rather keep silent and cover this all, uh, all our stuff up. But at the same time, we who would like to keep it covered and quiet, we know something, all of us, of what it is to waste away and groan. So there's a deeper part that longs to come clean, to acknowledge and confess, and instead of covering it, let you cover it. And we thank you for this finished work. We thank you that you entered into our experience. And you know it fully, and that with the finished work of Christ, we can rest. And because of the ongoing work of the Spirit, the hand upon us, we, we know we can then come to you And pray that you would help us to see increasingly how we can then come to you. Not being silent. Acknowledging our sin. Not covering our iniquity. Confessing our transgressions. And feeling the joy renewed of your forgiveness. For our sake, you who knew no sin became sin. That we might become the righteousness of God.